Welcome to another exciting episode of Practice What You Teach, a weekly teacher podcast. I'm joined today by my two co-hosts, Mr. Moreland. Hello. Mr. Lumpkin. Hey, yo. And our special guest co-host, Mr. Kylie. Hey, can't keep me away. We just can't keep him away. He keeps coming back. Maybe he likes us. My question to you all is how have you all been? Have you all been keeping healthy, washing your hands, and staying safe? Uh, yes, as much as I can, but I've had some issues with the kidney stone, as you guys may have known. Uh, so I'm struggling with that, but at least it's not, you know, something else that I could be dealing with right now. A lot of people are really worried about, which we'll talk about later. We will yeah. indeed talk about that later. Yes. Mr. Lumpigan, how have you been doing? Well, I think it's been, this is the first recording since I came back from Scotland. Right? That's right. It was absolutely gorgeous. And I'm actually feeling a little bit lucky or at least getting away with a, a lot because I just believe they were imposing the travel ban today, tomorrow. Not to continent, only to continental Europe. Scotland would be absolved. Scotland uh, and UK would be absolved. That's Very right. Nice. Okay. Then I would have been fine. But I was imagining if there was to all of the Europe, I probably would have been coming back today. Well, if I if I had been coming back today, it would have been another nice two week vacation. vacation. But otherwise, I'm doing okay. I'm still kind of got some weird allergy stuff going on. The trees are blooming. Spring is springing. It's very odd. Eight but, more oh. days. I can't wait for oh. the spring to get here. Ugh. Mr. Kylie, how have you been doing since the last time you talked to us? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, I'm trying to not touch my face, which anyone who has a beard, anyone else who has a beard can tell you that is a constant struggle. Not that is do. 75% of those of us recording today. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. We're always glad to have you on. We are playing around with the new format here at Practice What You Teach. We are now going to be breaking everything up into 10-minute segment chunks and then putting those together with some transitions in between. We're excited. We hope you like it. If not, let us know, and we'll tweak it some more. Now, I want to go directly into some of our news stories that we have here today. We don't have an interview for you because everyone that's on the show has already been interviewed. However, we do want to let everyone know that basketball season is over, and now baseball season and softball season are starting along with all of the other spring sports. So make sure you get out there and support your fellow athletes. Now, Anime Club Game Club, do we have any updates, any news? Anime Club's going on right now. And that's because I was not feeling well Monday. Uh, so we moved the date to today. But usually we're gonna be we're gonna meet on Mondays. We're trying to finish up Shingu Secret of the Stellar Wars. And after that, we're looking at Demon Slayer, some other shows as well. Uh, so if you wanna, you know, hang out with some people that like anime, wanna, you know, find some new animes you may not have heard before. It's cool to watch anime by yourself, but there's something to be said about hanging out with friends and enjoying it together, talking about it, having a good time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, stop by if you're interested. And uh, we're always open to suggestions, too. So if you know a show that's really good that you want to share with people, let us know. As long as it's appropriate for school, we'll be uh, A-OK -okay to, to play it as long as we can access it. So check it out on Mondays after school in Mr. Hare's room. Room 250. And Demon Slayer is a great choice. Now, Mr. Lumpkin, any news on the game club front? Oh, not too much. We've been kind of going pretty steady with our Wednesdays and Fridays meeting in Miss Bats' room in 338, and it's been pretty calm. It's mostly they've been really into playing a whole lot of Smash. We've got a couple tournaments going, but a lot of it's just been kind of hanging out, enjoying each other's presence. I think we're starting that Warhammer tournament at some point. We'll see. That's planned for, I believe, April, but right now we're making our way up to spring break and enjoying just the time we get to spend with each other. Absolutely. I actually went to Game Club on Wednesday and had a blast playing with everyone that was there. 
So I kind of want to jump into a couple of different things. We actually do have a brand new feature for you all. And I'm very excited about this. It is the Moreland DECA report. Now, Mr. Moreland, from what I've been told, you went to your home city of Virginia Beach recently. Yeah, so this may just be a one-time thing because I'm not actually involved with DECA. They just needed an extra sponsor to go. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, another, uh, what's the word I'm looking Chaperone. for? Chaperone, yes, to go with the students. And so they asked everybody, they asked everybody, and then they asked me, and uh, I agreed because I had nothing else to do that weekend. So I went, and it was really, uh, really interesting seeing the kids, what they were doing. They're working on, you know, these simulations of business pitches you know, job interviews, things like that. Kind of like if you watch the show Shark Tank, it's kind of like that. They have this pitch they give and, and the students they have the best presentations, win awards. They get to go on to Nashville, uh, Tennessee. This is for the international competition? Yes. Actually, the national. Just, the national. Yes. So national competition. And we had three students qualify to go to those competitions in Nashville. I won't say their names to protect the innocent. privacy of the students, but... Uh, we did have three people that qualified to go. All the students did a great job. We had a lot of younger students, freshmen, sophomores that participated. So they'll only get stronger as the years progress. Uh, but yeah, it was very a very nice time. And the students put in a lot of hard work. And it was really great to see them uh, recognized. A lot of students went up on stage uh, to be recognized. Some didn't. But they all did a great job. They all did their best. And uh, it was just really enjoyable. Excellent. Now, I do want to ask a quick question about the event itself. As a chaperone while you were there, what did you really observe when you saw the different students come together in Virginia Beach? Well, it was very interesting because when you go to the actual DECA conference, like the little presentation where they're all getting ready to present, they're all, you know, prepping and lining up. Some of them are practicing. Some of them are like just staying in line, trying to go over what they're going to say. Uh, it, they all look very professional. They're all dressed in, you know, business attire, like shirts and ties. And uh, the girls are wearing dresses. Some of them wearing shirts and ties as well. Uh, it's just really interesting to see, you know, high school students taking something very seriously and actually behaving as if they're, you know, already business people because that's what they're trying to do. So it was just a very interesting experience. Uh, the students really didn't have a lot of time to, you know, sit back and relax, even though it was a trip to Virginia Beach. You'd think it would be like a, a nice, fun time. And it was fun for the kids, but at the same time, they had work to do. They had a job to do. So it was very serious as well. So and it was cold too. So it wasn't exactly the right time to go to the beach, but they still went to the beach. It was kind of funny. So, but you know, they had a good time. They did their best. It was all, you know, in the hopes of maybe doing better next year, having more people qualify to go to States. We'll see. DECA works really hard. Mr. West, Mr. Gamble, all of them work really hard with the kids to make sure that they're prepared before they get there. And, you know, it's just a matter of the kids, getting over their nerves and making sure they're prepared and being confident. And a lot of the kids, a lot of the kids were. So a lot of schools are participating in that. It's just a great opportunity from an Assis Park to show off, you know, what our kids can do and, and how well they can do in uh, business related fields. Yeah, I think it's actually excellent that we had so many. I think three is a lot, even for a school our size. I think that's phenomenal. Uh, I did want to ask you one final question about your experience and how everything went. Given that you went down to Virginia Beach, and you got to experience everything. Would you make this trip again? Would you be willing to, even if you're not a part of DECA as a sponsor or, you know, working directly with the students, would you go again to the DECA competition? Well, I'm not going to, you know, paint a flowery picture. It is, it is work. Absolutely. So when you go to this conference to chaperone these kids, you may enjoy like the, the scenery. You may get to go to a restaurant down at the beach. They have really nice restaurants down at Virginia beach. 
In fact, I got to take some some of the students to uh, Chicho's Pizza. Really? Yes, which uh, was a really popular pizza joint down there when I was young. And they really enjoyed it. And it was kind of cool to share that with them. Like, you know, something that I actually, you know, experienced in high school. Now I'm, you know, sharing with the high school kids. It's, it's just a restaurant. But at the same time, it's just kind of funny to see them like enjoying the same food that I ate when I was their age. Uh, but, you know, it's still work. You still have to, you know, chaperone the kids, make sure they're not getting into trouble, make sure they're focusing on what they need to do. Make sure everybody gets to bed on time for the curfew and everything. It's a job. I mean, it's, it's you know, but it's really great to see the kids you know, doing something that could potentially lead to a, a positive outcome in their future. So I would definitely recommend that anybody who's interested in, in uh, doing something special to help the kids out and support them in what they're trying to do to, you know, volunteer to chaperone next year. I mean, I would, I would be willing to do it too, but it is a commitment. It's not like you're just going there to have fun. You're going there to work. You're going there to make sure these kids are, you know, doing what they need to do and, and getting ready. So unless you're willing to put forth the work, you know, it's not going to be a walk in the park. You actually have to do the job. So, Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mr. Mullen, for that, being our man on the scene. That's the first time we actually had a live report with someone actually going to the scene of things. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up that segment. Thank you for your report, Mr. Moreland. We're going to now jump into our news stories. But, after, but that's going to be after a quick break. And we are back. And here we're, we're going to talk about some news stories of the week. Mr. Kylie is our special guest. Why don't you go ahead and start with your story? So once again, I'm bringing up uh, the topic of biology. Um, always been interested in those kinds of science type things. Um, so my article today is bumblebees can experience an object using one sense and later recognize it using another. This is from Science Daily. It's based on research from Queen Mary University of London. So in... Uh, their research. Um, some scientists um, did an experiment showing bumblebees um, some objects um, through glass that they could not touch. And later, these bees were able to recognize those same objects in the dark. So they, at first, they could only use their sense of sight to see these objects, and then they went and found them without the sense of sight. So this, you know, this is evidence showing that, you know, like humans or, you know, other animals, you know, all of our senses kind of work together. It's not just one, you know, like a switch on and off, you know, think of if you wear glasses, you know, you know, you put them on your nightstand at night, you know, you might see them right before you do that. But if you say you have to get up in the middle of the night or something, you will know if you'll be able to touch and find where they are right away. So really the thing I thought was cool about this is it kind of shows that um, we're always finding out more about um, animals of all kinds that, you know, they're more like intelligent, um, for lack of a better word, they're more intelligent than we sometimes think they have, um, you know. The ability or capability yeah. to do. I know, I yeah. definitely agree. Mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting. I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Being a bee, you're main thing that's going to keep you and your hive mm -hmm. colony alive is the ability to find food, nectar, mm -hmm. and plants. Yep. And if all of a sudden you've got to refine that, that wouldn't necessarily make sense. So they have to have some sense of object mm -hmm. permanency, which even for humans, we don't develop until what, a month? Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. it's beyond that. Yeah. It's at that. least two or three before we develop object permanency. So it's very interesting to see that sort of same skill set, even though I imagine the 
the way that's crafted within such a minuscule brain mm-hmm. is more, I don't know how that would develop. I guess we would claim that be instinctual, but it's very, I mean, you can't, you can, you could agree that it's probably an instinctual ability within humans too. Mm-hmm. Sure. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see that, especially within an animal that we would consider to be as basic as a yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's pretty amazing actually to be able to just visually see something and then just know how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we talk about just getting from point A to point B or even finding your glasses on the nightstand. I have trouble doing mm-hmm. that before I turn the lights on in the morning. So that is pretty amazing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do my story this week. I'm actually very excited about it. There is actually an AI method that determines quantum advantage for advanced computing. So again, we're getting right back on my quantum computing kick. I'm very excited about the quantum computer and what's going to happen next in that space. And what we have now is they found an artificial intelligence that is able to construct and then use the qubits within an a quantum computer. This is kind of a time-saving measure because normally it's very painstaking to put all this together by hand or more to the point through a a human putting it in. But with AI, we can set it to, hey, put these together in this order. It's faster. It's able to do it more efficiently. And then we would run the quantum computer from there. I think it's amazing. It's always nice to see us get closer to that quantum computer you can take home. And I'm very excited to see that they're putting all technology, all hands on deck to kind of get this done. Mr. Moreland. Hello. What you got for us this week? Uh, I have something about food. What you got? And physics. I decided to jump on the science bandwagon. We'll make room for you. I found an article on phys.org. It's a physics news website that Mr. Hare uses often. That's where I get all my stories. That's right. And so I thought I would piggyback off of that. Unraveling the physics behind tossing fried rice. I actually prefer white rice, but my wife loves fried rice. And so now we're looking at a story about how to make it easier to make. So they did a study uh, at the Georgia Institute of Technology about how people make fried rice, how Chinese restaurant chefs will make the fried rice and the physics that's involved. So they did this, they videotaped uh, the chefs making the fried rice with high speed cameras to capture the action. And they slowed it down to see how they did it. And also a lot of, you know, chefs that make fried rice actually end up having, uh, I believe arm problems or back problems. Shoulder pains. Yeah, shoulder pains. So that's where the arm meets the back. So there you go. Mm. Uh, So they were trying to figure out what the source of that was as well in this study. And they saw that each motion was like a seesaw motion. And the technique was to heft the rice into the air, just the right amount of height, keep it from spilling out of the pan. And they tossed the rice in their walks 2.7 times per second, which is very fast. It is very fast. Uh, And that's why the shoulder pain happened because the constant tossing of the rice in the walk uh, led to shoulder pain and 64.5% of the chefs they spoke with. So why are they doing this? What's the point? They're going to think about making a robot that could make fried rice instead of a person because robots don't get shoulder pain. And if they do, all you need is some WD-40 or an oil can. (laughs) And there you go. It's going to be fixed. So it's a great way to, you know, ease the burden of humanity, which is what, you know, robots are supposed to be doing. But who knows? Maybe they'll 
take over the Earth one day. I hope not. I think you're just saying the plot of Terminator. Yeah, but in either much. case, yes. I'm, I'm hungry now. That's a very specialized task, though. I don't, you know, I don't know if they're gonna hey. what they else they could use that. Uh, Once they start building quantum computers, I mean, oh, yeah. taking over the world's gonna be easy. Tossing the rice could lead to I don't know. Who knows? I mean, it's, a, it's a tossing motion. Does it bow it? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, if they can toss rice, I mean, they can toss weapons. I mean, Maybe it'll be a, it'll oh, toss yeah. a projectile. Yeah, it'll be a trap to entice the people to come. It's right. a oh, trap. No. Yes. The cooking oh. robot tricked us. Uh-huh. And the Terminators are waiting. It's, on, it's on, Honestly, it's ironic because they have a, a cleaning robot that'll the cook robot. and clean. There's actually a robot right now that will cook and clean Rosie? for you. No. Oh. It's in your kitchen. That's a Jetsons reference. And it's for just arms. It doesn't have a body. Well, of course. If it has a body, that will really make it hard to beat. Yes, but you can install it in your kitchen. It's very high. high it's like high dollar. Of course product. it is. Uh, so it'll make the, di- the the dish for you, and then it'll clean the dishes after. It's, it's really weird. That's very impressive. I don't want it because I like to cook. But if somebody doesn't like to cook, but they want to have like really good food, I don't know how much money this thing is, like a million dollars, something like that. That's a lot of money. It's very expensive, but it will basically be your in-home I wonder if they pay their. I wonder if they would pay the chef that much. It's a way to save money. I don't know. Mr. Lumpkin, what you got? Well, I'm going to be a little bit of a cheat here. And my article is actually just an opinion piece, but I thought it was very (laughs) appropriate for what's going on. With the world being as it is and us talking about news stories, I guess it would only be appropriate to bring up coronavirus as being the, like, top news story right now everywhere an opinion piece came in talking about a a couple where they were very upset where a wife is a germaphobe and a husband uh a uh, a fellow connoisseur of the i suppose dorito or cheeto dust that's the best part Uh, of course was asking if it was appropriate or was it just straight up disgusting to even in this time in this age of us being worried about things such as a coronavirus was it still okay to lick the dust the suck the succulent uh, remaining pieces of chip or cheeto off of our fingers and of course as we all know uh eh? <laughs> probably not the best because we're all recommended not to touch our face but i figured it'd be a good segue for us to start talking about all the stuff going on. What does this mean for KFC? True. With the, with the new donut and chicken sandwich. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that might. <sighs> it might cause heart attacks everywhere. You're absolutely right. That is true. <laughs> well, with that, that's going to wrap up the news. Mm. And so because you, you brought such a timely topic uh, talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19, COVID-19, we are going to wrap up this segment and then in our next segment go right into uh, the burning question of the week, which I think is a really good one, but I'm biased because I made it up. So we will be right back. And we are back for our final segment and most importantly, our burning question. The burning question of the day is going to be where are decisions made with COVID-19 being becoming a pandemic, according to the WHO Mm -hmm. and being the topic of our last uh, story there. Thank you to Mr. Lumpkin. My question is now where are decisions made? I think decisions are made by everybody everywhere every day uh, in on a personal level. In terms of a 
local level, of course, we have governments, local governments, schools, etc. Uh, state level, you know, your state government, national level, national government, etc. But in a, when it comes down to it, the best decisions you can make are the decisions you make personally. If you're worried about the coronavirus or something else, there are things you can do, steps you can take to personally prevent coming in contact with it and decisions you can make to, you know, be able to deal with it if you do manage to contract it. So you can, you know, eat healthy, take your vitamins, et cetera, right? And make sure you wash your hands. Don't touch your face like Mr. Lumpkin's article said. And those are all decisions I, that you I can make. I just touched my face <laughs> when he said that. <laughs> those are all decisions you can make on a personal level. And honestly, I think that that's where, that's the first line of defense. That's where, you know, it starts. Because if you do that, then you're going to be okay. And even if somebody else gets it and you know it, okay, we'll stay away from that person for a while. What is it like? How many days is it? 14 day gestation. 14 day gestation. So stay away for that long and then you should be good. If you're worried about it, maybe like 16 days, just to be sure. You Not know, sure what the contagious knows. time is, but I know that you can have it for 14 days before you experience uh, symptoms. Yes. And then I don't know how long it is after that. In that case, we may need to think about it. But, you know, just take precautions. And that's the first step you can make. So that's your decision, your personal decision. And I think some people have already made that decision. I've, I've noticed that there are some students who aren't in school right now. And that might be yes. why. I don't know for a fact. But that could be a, a potential reason why maybe they're not, maybe they don't have it, but they're just worried that somebody might. So that might be why they're staying away, at least for now, until the coast is clear. That's just the personal decision that you can make. But as far as we know right now, we're, we're completely safe. There's no reports. We're open for business and uh, we've been taking precautions. I know we've been, you know, cleaning the school and everything. So we're going to keep preparing. That's right. Yes, sir. Mr. Lumpkin. I'm going to kind of reflect a little bit on that. Like, where are the decisions made for us, especially in this situation where we have to have decisions made uh, above us for very important things? Absolutely. When it comes to the safety, especially of the most precious thing in our community, the kids and our future, it's it's really important that those decisions have to be made not only by us personally, but also by those that have the responsibility because it eventually someone has to be responsible. We can't always rely on us to re be responsible. Well, Hopefully we can re rely on us being responsible for ourselves as adults. That's part of what makes us adults, but responsibility on the community at large responsibility for what we actually should be giving to these students responsibility for food, for shelter, for all of these things. I think that ends up making that a much bigger question because finding who that you should rely on, finding who should have that ability to make that decision. I think that ends up being a much more, nebulous uh, question. And I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I think, yes, I 100% agree. If we're making personal question, uh, personal decisions, we should be coming at those, especially from our gut, from our heart, what we think is going to be best for us and best for our community. And a lot of the students have definitely been making those decisions, and I, I'll support that, especially if they think that they're trying to prevent themselves getting sick or their families getting sick. There's a couple students here that I am very concerned for because I know they have situations where they're either immunocompromised mm -hmm. or have family members who would be very at risk. And Absolutely. my heart goes out to them, especially looking at this because – this has been kind of, I have a bit of anxiety sure. about all things in life. And this happens to be one where it's kind of stuck with me. I, I find myself looking at my phone, looking at my computer, looking at, okay, where are the numbers at now? Is it expanding like the way that I thought it was going to expand? Should we be worried now? And 
what would even be that criteria? So I'm having my own trouble making those decisions and I'm trying to make myself feel better by paying attention to it. But yeah, how, where do we make those decisions? I think I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with where we're at as a, as a school district after having McDade come by, talk to us Tuesday yeah. and definitely seeing that those who are making decisions, Dr. McDade, the health department, uh, those other ones involved in that, I'm sure there's a big chain of command for that. Yep. I feel very comfortable with their decisions, but also at the same time, it's just such a, it's such an overreaching thing and unprecedented. I saw that word used today for it. And I, I agree. I remember many times where we've gone through bird flu, we've gone through swine flu, we've gone through all these other pandemic ish, sure. but not quite pandemics. It's very strange for where we're at right now. And it's very strange mm -hmm. with the speed of information mm -hmm. that we can get for us right now. And then having everyone else try and react to it, whether that be buying up all the toilet paper in the store or, Which I don't think you need to do, by the way. <laughs> yes. yeah. And don't Mr. wear, Carter, don't wear masks unless you're sick. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> if you are not sick, you do not need yeah. a mask. Sorry to cut you off. Oh um, no, that, no, that was my right. point. Um, so that's interesting. You just brought up the speed of information because one thing that is the most uh, concerning about COVID nineteen is that um, even with the speed of information we have now for news, we yeah, don't know a lot about lot. the actual virus. It's crazy. Um, and going back kind of to our question, um, so where are decisions made? You know, I'm, I kind of I agree with what Mr. Moreland was saying that, you know, ultimately it kind of is individuals who are making the choices. You, you know, you're taking your own responsibility for how you, you know, how you, um, oh gosh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, how you like react to the information you're given. So, you know, we always, uh, someone has to inform us about how we make it decisions, though, you know, where we're getting our information from, like, uh, what I was thinking that when Mr. Lumpkin was talking, how he's always looking to find new information. So, you know, it's always important to think of where you're getting your information from, too, you know, yeah. one thing I've, that's kind of concerned me about this whole thing is that, you know, I don't want to be too alarmist, and I think, you know, some of the responses might have been kind of leaning towards that. I don't think so here necessarily or anything locally, but, um, you know, some things I've seen in the news, it is like, you know, again, this is mysterious. We don't know a lot about it, but at the same time, I don't think we should be, you know, giving into fear. A hundred percent agree on that. Absolutely. And between talking with either people in my community or, or just other people in general and like the very fast response. Mm. And I think that also goes back in our decisions. We make our decision on how we're going to react mm. to this. And it is a crisis, whether it be a very big one, or very small one, I think yes, it's yet to really be seen, but it is a crisis and how we respond to crisis is our own decisions mm. and seeing people respond to it in denial mm -hmm. or seeing people respond to it in blind, blind panic. It's so strange to see that dichotomy. And it's also very strange to see people that are using a situation be able to Put forward an agenda, whether that be for their own personal gain or for their own personal leads. That that's also been mm -hmm. something very strange to see with this. And I, I guess it's only strange because it's just something I'm not used to. Mm -hmm. But 
that's all I've really got to say on it. I, I think mm-hmm. that when it comes down to it, you have a decision, you make your own personal decisions, but when it comes to bigger things, especially like a, a crisis that affects the community, you have to look to people that are hired up in mm-hmm. the community for them to make the decisions, but you also have to decide to support them to believe mm-hmm. what they're saying. Because otherwise, if you're not deciding yourself to support that decision, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I like that, that support is also a decision in itself, too. Well, great. I think you guys have some really great points. And I I think that when it comes to decisions, we've got to be mindful that they come from everywhere. There's some that you make. There's some that get made for you. And I think that as long as you're willing to support, and that is a big pillar of that, that's all that we can really hope for is that we support good decisions. Mm -hmm. So with all that being said, this has been a wild episode, just so that everyone knows. Make sure you are washing your hands, make sure you are covering your mouth, and make sure you are looking out for those that may have anything wrong with them. If they're feeling sick, make sure you comfort them. If you are feeling sick, make sure you try to make sure you get some rest for yourself. With all that being said, we'd like to thank you for listening to this wonderful episode of Practice What You Teach, which is a weekly teacher podcast. You can find us at Twitter, which is at PWUT Podcast, or P what? We missed you while you were gone, Mr. Lumpkin, <laughs> at P what Podcast. As always, we like to thank you for listening. Thank you. Good night and good luck.